0: Hi, everybody. Hi. It's good to see you. My name is Josh. Front row, safest place to be, because I never look down at these guys, so all y'all are in my sights. Uh, I work uh, on campus with a Christian Student Fellowship. Uh, every time John invites me, I say yes quickly, uh, but it's been a year. I was here on Veterans Day last year and uh, brought a story of one of my grandfathers, and I was here on Veterans Day two years ago and brought my other uh, grandfather, And uh, I, if I remember correctly, I got weepy at both of those sermons. And so this time, I was really thankful for Tracy to take that over for me so I didn't have, you know, ruin my makeup. Um, <laughs> instead, it's, it's uh, not only Veterans Day where we're honoring uh, those who have served, um, but we're also honoring uh, those who have chosen to serve in particular ways with fostering and adoption. And here I go again. So here we are, everybody. Um, my hair products are brought to you by the Reynolds girls. <laughs> Slow burn on that one for some of us who have daughters and challenged follicles. Um, my day job is on campus. Uh, so not only herding these cats, but also on campus. And my students at Indiana University are brilliant. They are absolutely thematically um, just they're the best. They're your future doctors, managers, um, policy writers, educators, therapists. But what I get to do on every Thursday night, which is my Sunday morning, is I get to open the Word of God and I invite them to find themselves in the narrative arc of Scripture. Like they're really smart, we get that. But what they bring to my sermons is their their understanding of stories in the Bible and their understanding of themes in the Bible, but they need continual connection training of how the Bible's world connects to their world. And here's the dangerous part for my students. They think those are two separate worlds. They think the Bible arc And the ark that they're living in their world are two separate worlds that they're constantly navigating. When in reality, if we read Scripture correctly, it's like this. And here's the ark. Number one, it is God's world, and he loves it. The ark of the story of Scripture that is told is that this is God's world that you and I are walking through, and he loves what he has created. And the second part of this ark is that Jesus' life is our hope as we walk in this world. It's God's world and he loves it. It's Jesus's life that is our hope. And then the third part of the arc is when we know Jesus's life, when we trust him, and when we honor who God is in his world, all of a sudden, his spirit helps us experience our world correctly. That's the arc that we're gonna walk through this morning. So let me pray for us as we open scripture together. Heavenly Father, uh, with humility, we approach your words. We approach the text and we seek to find you here and we want to learn more about Jesus and we need your spirit to guide us there. And so we ask that you guide our hearts and our steps as as we follow you. Amen. This is the live like Jesus series. Uh, It's the last of an eight-week series. That series is grabbed from a prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. But the story of that prayer actually begins in John 13. It begins with the Passover feast approaching and a towel that gets wrapped around this person of Jesus. And he moves from disciple digit to disciple digit, washing feet. And so as I was as is in, my, in my study space, uh, I actually called my dad from Starbucks and I was like, I'm struggling because the idea of sin, as a topic of a, is that whole thematic thing again. And dad, I can't find the arc in this story right now. Right? Remember, we're really good at finding themes, but all of a sudden, sometimes what we need to know is where we fit into the story. And here's what my dad said. He said, um, this is a cosmic spotlight on one of the primary tenets of the Christian faith. Well, he didn't say that, but like that's my words of repeating what he said, because uh, he made it much more simple. Here's what he said. He said, there is inherent dignity every time that we see Jesus bend down and wash another's disciples' feet Every time he grabs another foot and puts it in the bowl and tenderly puts his hand over it and then pulls it out of the bowl and uses the towel around his waist. Every time Jesus does that, he is affirming the dignity of each of his disciples because what we do not see Jesus doing is expecting to be served. Instead, what he's doing is speaking Latin, which you all knew that because you were in my sermon full bore by this point. Jesus is saying whenever he grabs your feet and puts it in a bowl and begins to tenderly touch it, he says, I am affirming the imago Dei in you. I am affirming the image of God. I am not expecting this from you, but I in turn am lowering myself and washing feet. That's the context for the prayer that we get in John 17. Ooh, and now all of a sudden we have this ark. But I had to go backwards even further because what we see in Jesus washing feet is the perfected heart of service. You and I don't do this naturally very well. And so what I did is I went back into the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, here's what I found. Exodus 22, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 10. All through the scriptures, I hear the voice of God articulating this heart. He says, Number one, know who I am. I am the God of gods. I am the Lord of lords. I show no partiality and I accept no bribes. That's a huge deal to not accept bribes and to show no partiality. He then proves it by saying, I knew you. I defend the widow. And the orphan and the foreigner. I give food and clothing. What God does in this storyline of the Old Testament is He defends the dignity and He raises the people who have nothing to offer. He calls them children. He gives them food and shelter. In fact, if you read through the story of Scripture, especially Deuteronomy, you hear this over and over and over. Deuteronomy 6, go read it for yourself. He says, I chose you because you were the least among all people. You had nothing to offer me, and I chose you, is what God says to the Israelites. And this, my young friends, is the call that follows right there in Deuteronomy 10. I stopped at a verse short, and now you see this verse come alive. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners. He puts out in front of you and I the action steps of what we are to do if we get the fear part right. Remember, it starts with the God among all other gods, the Lord among all other lords. No partiality no bribes. And if we get that right, he says, fear me. And that's not like a ah type of fear. It's like a awe, literally awe. Like you are awesome. Awe is what he says. He says, you are to fear me. Now the West side gets this right. I know you guys fear West side classic folk. I know you get this right because you live that out with don't cuss, don't chew, don't date girls who do. Some of you, like, give the extra kick of the mud off your boots before you walk in, right? We know this. But then that part after that, this awe part, then becomes serve him. And again, Westside, you guys do this really well. You guys um, do small groups really well. You... you care for Emmaus, and you lead there, and you go there really well. You set up tables in the bingo palace every time, 11 a.m. service. I respect that. 930 9, 9, 30 service, um, they don't do that. They don't set up tables in the bingo palace like y'all do. So shout out to the 11 a.m. service. Here's the idea. Here's the idea. What we see here is we see the religion that God finds pure, You read it through scripture again and again and again. He says, do you want to know how to love me? Do you want to know how to show the world you love me? Then you do these things. You defend the widow. You care for the orphan. And you love the foreigner, the alien among you. Um, This is the story again and again that we see as a narrative throughout scripture. I know you're reading it all behind me but I want to articulate this a a couple different ways. The idea of Deuteronomy 10 is that God chooses the widow, orphan, and the foreigner without anything to offer. The call of the gospel is that Jesus looked at his disciples and he said to them with simplicity, follow me and I will make you fishers. These men had nothing to offer him. The arc of Scripture again and again and again is that Jesus' life in God's world and the Spirit moving amongst the three of, the, of the three of those persons of the Trinity. The call is that you are chosen and you are belong before you clean yourself up. So before you kick the mud off, you're already good to walk into the family. You were already chosen. You already belong In the family. And this is so powerful to make sure you guys get this gospel right. Because if you don't understand this portion, then John 17 makes no sense. John 17 makes no sense if we don't get this part right. Because here's the idea Jesus is about to say to his disciples, Your turn. Jesus is about to, remember, this is the night before he dies. Jesus is about to leave his disciples without a father. They are about to become orphans. They've been homeless for the last three years. If you know your text, that's a little Bible joke right there. Here's the point. Here's the point. Jesus is looking at his, his men that are following him, and he says, it's your turn to defend the weak. It's your turn to feed the one who is residing near you far from home. It's your turn to love because you were chosen first. He says, I've already done this, and it's now for you. And guys, this turns from this Bible world into my world pretty quickly. When I read this and place myself at the foot of this text, here's what I find. I've been the foreigner through years or seasons of my life where I was far From home. There are times where I have been disconnected from my true family because of trauma or injustice or my own ignorance, and I have forgotten my name. This is the invitation for you and I to this text to hear this that God, in His goodness, in His love for the world, has made a way to restore us. That's the verse that I wanted to preach on this morning. So that's just the intro. You're the 11 a.m. service, so joke's on y'all. I'm just getting warmed up now. This is a great story. God has made a way to restore me when I'm living in a season where I forget my name, when I'm far from home, and when I'm disconnected from my true identity. The story of the gospel is this that he, God, sent Jesus while I was still far. And he said, Josh, you are chosen and you belong without any cleanup of yourself to step into my family. That is beauty. I think for the first time here in John 17, and we're finally on our verse, right? I think for the first time in John 17, the the words that Jesus has been telling his disciples are starting to settle in. Uh, I'll translate that to the west side Sherwood Oaks for you. Jesus has been saying for the third time, I'm leaving y'all. West Side translation. And what he says in this moment is, you are about to take on this story. And here's the thing, guys. It doesn't make sense if you understand Jesus' words as something about you. Instead, Jesus' words are, you are now gone. You are now leaving. You're now left. You're now sent to be the ones who will raise the widow, defend the dignity, and pull someone else along to where you are. And as the disciples are finally getting this into their brain, I think about where they are. They're not in the upper room anymore. John 14 promised that one. 1431, the Passover meal has happened. The washing of the feet is John 13. They leave by John 14. Now they're in a courtyard outside. And what they're starting to hear are these words sink in amongst the murmur of Jerusalem. The next day is Passover. The city itself is swollen to three or four times its normal population. And the weight of the world is about to fall on these disciples because they are now hearing it's your turn. And imagine this is why Jesus prays for them. A, Jesus is going to the cross tomorrow for them, for you but B, he looks at his disciples who feel the reality of, it's your turn. So I have felt small and helpless. Like I imagine the disciples are feeling small and helpless in this moment. Let me step away from scripture and step into my own story. There's a very real real reality, which is, redundant school of redundancy school right there. There's a reality that I had to deal with early in my, uh, my first few months of marriage, which is called honeymoon pregnant. Let that sink in. Because not only did I not know how to be married very well in the first couple months of my marriage, but we also had an impending son. But the spoiler is I've already shown you my family and my hair products because the reality here is that my story is filled with brokenness and hardship like yours this is where i must have the capacity to take the ark of the bible and the ark of my world and know how to marry them together because those are not two disconnected pieces this is me standing in the hardship and the broken of losing a son This is the hardship of of understanding how to love a wife that I did not know how to love very well in my first few years, 15 years of marriage, and I'm getting there, praise Jesus. But the only reason I can say that is because I've got God's spirit changing who I am and making sense of the hardship in my life. So very on in marriage, Laura and I realized that adoption might be the pathway to having a family, um, the good news is lots of tears, lots of prayer, lots of bed rest, and miracle moderns of science. Um, God answered our our prayer for a healthy pregnancy twice. Oh, guys, I want to touch this picture so quickly. Are you ready? We were two girls in by the point where I'm about to touch the picture, and God was very clear that we would now be adopting. So two healthy pregnancies, praise Jesus, and now God was clear that we were going to be adopting. And so we didn't make enough money to adopt from China. Kazakhstan was on a long-term, delayed time frame. Ethiopia went on an adoption freeze. And so some of the people in my church said, hey, we heard that you're thinking African adoption? Would you consider African-American? And Laura and I looked at each other, and Laura said, I've always wanted black woman hair. And so she said, yes, let's try it. That's a true story, you can ask her about it uh, after after. <laughs> After this sermon's over. And then all of a sudden we heard this call. Would you consider open adoption? And that was a whole new round of conversation in our world. Uh, And so the paperwork was on our kitchen counter. uh, And it was that exact Sunday where we had finished it the night before. And we were getting ready to turn it in. When Emily came up to Laura at church that Sunday morning. And said, Laura, we need to talk. And Laura said, you're pregnant. And the Holy Spirit then whispered. And as we're driving home from church that day, Laura begins to tell me the story. Emily came up to me today. I knew that she was pregnant. Then I heard And I said, no, (laughs) that's how rumors get started. A youth pastor does not adopt a baby from his own youth group. You guys can do the math on that one. We are not doing uh, that one. And my wife in her gentle wisdom said, I'd like you to pray about it. So I did. And here is what I learned, that not only had God been preparing our hearts all the way from our honeymoon pregnancy for this moment. But I would be adopting Tyler and his extended family. I would be adopting Emily and her extended family. And I would be tying my family to their families for the rest of my story. And all of a sudden, I began to walk out In front of my community, in front of the church where I was a leader, and in front of my girls, what it looked like to love the least in the most practical of ways. Now, we told our girls, and they did not care, they just wanted a mannequin to practice their makeup on. (laughs) And so, there is a sweet, sweet part to this story, friends. As I tell this story and feel what I feel, you all can feel it, right? Here's the thing. That is born out of a place of brokenness and hardship. And in this world, what, what Jesus says to his disciples on the night before he is gone to be betrayed is he says, in this world, you will have brokenness. You will have hardship, but take heart, Jesus says, I'm sending you into that place. Oh, you guys. And now all of a sudden, as I bring up these emotions and I put them in front of you and you feel it, all of a sudden you start to bring your emotions and your own hardship. And what we start to do is take the story of scripture and the story of our lives. And we start to hear the promise and the hope that this is God's world and he loves it that Jesus moved through this world with all its brokenness because he loves me. And the promise and the hope of this scripture narrative arc story is that he gives his spirit to you. And he does not take you out of this place, but he walks with you through the brokenness and the hardship. So not only is it adoption, And Foster Sunday is also Veteran Sunday. And so what a perfect marriage. The idea of laying down your life and serving someone else, at the same time, caring for the least among you. So if you have adoption as a part of your story, if you have fostering a part of your story, safe families, maybe you give your time or your talent or your treasure to those, would you stand and let us honor you in just the simplest way of applause? Would you stand and say, this is a part of my story? Thank you, guys. The story is ongoing in my family because those whole miracles of modern science things came alive And it absolutely transitioned Rosie's calling within my family to being a big sister. She wasn't this add-on in our story. She wasn't this charity case. This was the story of her now as a big sister. She had to change her voice into one of being becoming a leader. She had to learn the idea of telling the story of, no, no, no. I'm dad's daughter, and you're my sister. And all of a sudden, what we got is this incredible picture of the kingdom of God. And we are still loving Tyler and Emily and all the families well. You guys, what I get to live out is the arc that I see in Scripture. We did not choose Tyler and Emily. God put them into our story And our hearts had been prepared through brokenness and hardship. And so with the care of his spirit and the leading, we were able to say yes. And not only that, we were able to transform our brokenness into something that acknowledged God's story. And we get to put that in front of you and as you guys tell your story and learn what this gospel means. It means that you don't clean yourself up to walk into the family of God. Whatever baggage looks like in your life, you don't fix it before you come. God redeems it and restores you through his son. As you join his family, what could be better to live out than that among those who you walk with? So just the clarity of this story is that God's world is full of brokenness and he loves it. And he calls you and I to hold to the gospel that Jesus did not claim his sonship, his godlikeness as something to be held for himself. He cast it aside for you. And because of that act, he invites you in to hear his it's why we must connect the narrative arc of the story of the Bible with ours. And we must learn how to walk that out daily. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at soccorg messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.